Okay. It was not intentional. See, we got some new clippers, and I was going to cut Smonga's hair, but I had to, you know, they're new, so I had to test them. And as it turns out, one should not try and give themselves a haircut. Or at least I shouldn't. And uh, one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, I still have hair, I'm still happy, it's okay. Um, but that's, yeah, anyway. I like it, thank you. Let the record state, if anyone's listening online, I am still pretty. Okay. Uh, let me just give you a, a quick announcement, and then we're going to spend just a few minutes in prayer, and then we will open scriptures together this morning. Um, this Wednesday is our board meeting. Uh, it was supposed to be last week, and this is kind of the neat thing, is a few of our board members were going to be away, and uh, so we were kind of humming and hawing, should we postpone it to next week? And eventually we decided, okay, that's what we're going to do. And literally, like, right then, God started to orchestrate some things that have happened in this past week that, that really we're going to have a big focus of our board meeting on Wednesday. And so it's pretty good. So one thing, if you're sitting over there, you can't read the screen. You, you're just guessing at the words. Well, we're going to talk about uh, some ways we had somebody come in uh, this past week to kind of overhaul our whole tech system and figure out ways in which we can get really creative uh, with solving some of these issues because we realize that as we grow and as we get a little bit bigger, the overflow is going to get a little bit bigger too as people start coming back. And, and unfortunately, you can't see much from over there. So we're, we're going to talk about those kinds of things. And so we just ask prayer uh, that you would pray for us as a board for wisdom that we make wise uh, decisions, that we are good stewards of what God's given of us. Uh, and, and so we just ask for your, uh, to pray for our wisdom in that. We are excited for what's going to take place. So if you, if you get here and you have to sit over there and you get a little disappointed because you can't see the screen, know that we're, we're, we're working on it. We're not just leaving things. We are working on it. We're going to get there. I think that's the only kind of announcement as far as that goes. So why don't you join me in prayer? We're going to spend just a few minutes here uh, thanking the Lord for this morning that we have this opportunity, uh, and then we'll open Scripture together. God, we are very grateful that we have this opportunity to come to gather as your saints and to worship you. God, you are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all honor that we could give. And so this morning as we gather as as this local church, as this body wanting to exalt your name, we pray that you would receive that honor and glory that you are due. God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts as we can look out and see one another. And, and yes, there are some differences uh, in this season of life than, than what we're more accustomed to, but we are privileged to gather together. And we know that many in the world aren't able to do that. And so, God, we pray that, that even in some small way that these regulations that are in front of us, that they would remind us that we still have the freedom to come and worship you. And we pray that that would remind us to pray for those all over the world who don't have that same freedom and that same opportunity. So God, for those who this morning aren't able to meet corporately, we just pray for them. We ask that you would reveal truth to them, that you would show them through your word who you are, and that they might come to know you and that they would grow and strengthen their relationship with you. God, as we seek to open the word this morning, we are again privileged to know that you have written 
your very words to us. These are not man's ideas. These are your ideas. And we are so grateful that you love us so much that you have given us your word that we might know who you are. So God, we pray that this morning that you would encourage our hearts, but that you would also challenge us, challenge our ideas and our thoughts that perhaps we've always held and and help us to look for a scriptural, biblical understanding of these things. God, we are just so, so grateful that we can come together as your body to encourage and to grow. Be with us now in these moments. We thank you for all that you are and all that you're doing in our lives. Amen. So you can, uh, you can open to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to get there in just a few minutes, but this is, is going to be a, a long preamble. Just fair warning. Um, this, so when, when we started this series of kind of dealing with the seven uh, points of the AGC doctrine, so these are core, core theological things that we hold tightly, um, there's lots of room to agree to disagree on lots of stuff and, and still be united together and still fellowship together. But there are some things that we have to hold very tightly. And so as we've been going through this series, as soon as I kind of mapped it out, I was looking forward to this, this morning. And that's not ever a good thing when your pastor's excited about a topic because that means you're going to get comfy for a while. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's funny because last week, um, last week was about redemption and salvation, the very heart of the gospel. And, and that should be, and, and it is, right, the most central, most important truth uh, that we could ever know. And, and it is. Uh, and, and so I'm not trying to say that I wasn't excited for last week. Of course, that's a, that's a wonderful sermon. You get, you're excited to preach about redemption and salvation. That's just, that's the nuts and bolts of Christianity. But I would say that I'm, this topic this morning holds a lot of passion in my heart because of what I've seen over the last number of years as a pastor, the conversations that I've had, is this topic is, is just so important and is so easily misunderstood or forgotten. And so what we're going to look at this morning is very simply the church, who we are. Uh, there's lots of different ideas. There's lots of different thoughts about that. People think of, well, there's, maybe we think of a building first, or maybe we, we think, no, it's not a building. It's a people. Maybe we think of it from the global context, or maybe we think of it from a local context. And then we ask, what's the mission? What's the purpose? Why do we exist? What, what is our goal? And all of those things. And what I've seen is I've seen so many people um, come to faith in Christ, but then have a real lack of understanding or, or perhaps a lack of teaching um, on what the church is. And so they've kind of drifted, and, and they love Jesus. There's no question about that. But they've struggled in their own maturity and in their own growth because they haven't committed to a local body. And I'm going to spend the rest of this morning kind of arguing as we go through Scripture to show that I think church is vital. I think it's essential for our faith. Uh, and I'll clarify a whole bunch of things as we go here. I'm going to try and be as, as gracious as I can, but I'm going to get fired up a little bit too uh, because I'm just, I'm so passionate about this. But before we get there, we need to talk a little bit about what we talked about last week just to lead us into this point. So last week, again, we talked about redemption, salvation, that Jesus alone is uniquely qualified to be our atoning sacrifice. 
Only he could pay the penalty for our sin. And Jesus went to the cross willingly to do that because God is unwilling that we would spend an eternity in hell without the opportunity at redemption. And so he has provided that to us through Jesus. We talked about how all of that is God's grace. Not, we don't deserve it. We have not earned it. We never will earn it. And the good news about that is that puts us all in the same boat so that not one of us in our own arrogance can think that I deserve salvation. We are all desperately in need of a Savior. And so we can't look at somebody else and go, well, they're so much worse than me, and so God's grace, they, he, they need it more than I do. We, we can't do that because we all need it. And so that should give us a sense of humility that as we come together as the church, as we open scripture, as we read, as we pray, as we seek an intimate relationship with Jesus, we should always be reminded I'm so unworthy and undeserving of this and yet so desperately loved that God wants this of me and wants me in relationship. And so that should bring us to that point. that We talked about three different kind of aspects of our salvation journey. A justification, sanctification, and glorification. So to, to define those, one, this justification, it's this legal term that we stand righteous before God, not because of our deeds, but because of Christ's deeds done for us. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see, you know, he doesn't look at Greg and see Greg's sin. He sees, he sees Jesus' righteousness covering me. We talked about sanctification, which I'm going to explain in just a minute here. And we talked about glorification. Glorification is this, this making new. So when Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden, right, perfect, in fellowship, walking with God. But then they sin. Sin nature comes into the equation. Now all of us have this, this sin nature. When we come to faith in Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit, but we have these two natures that now compete for our attention and our affection. And glorification is about how when we die and when we go be with Jesus, that that sin nature is eradicated. It's done. We no longer fight it. We are now in eternity and perfection. Almost, you could think of it, restored the way that God intended it to be in the beginning. But this sanctification, this is this ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And I think from a scriptural standpoint that as we read through that I hope you'll see this is that the church the local church is the primary way that we learn and grow and become more sanctified that as a group that as we come together as we worship as we pray as we well I'll explain some of these other things in a minute here but as we do all of those things that we become more like Christ together and I'm convinced that while it is possible to grow on our own in isolation, it is never God's plan. And we will we'll read through Scripture, it's never God's intent, but God's intent is that we would grow together in community, that we would sharpen each other, that we would pray for one another, and that we would care for one another. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to get Jason to put the statement up on the screen here. It's a few pages long again. Uh, we'll read it, or I'll read it, I guess, to you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a few of those things, uh, a few of these sentences and kind of clarify them, show some scripture with them. But I'm also, as we go, I'm also going to take a few misunderstandings or beliefs of church that are not rooted in biblical teaching and kind of explain why these things are so dangerous. So let me just read to you the statement. I recognize you guys can't see it, so just follow along with me. It says this, the church consists of all the redeemed who are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which Jesus is the head. 
Local assemblies of believers are visible representations of the church that gather regularly, regularly for the purpose of worship, which includes instruction in the word, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. The Lord Jesus uh, mandated two ordinances, believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. Though not the means of salvation, these ordinances testify of the gospel. The church has been entrusted with the task of global discipleship as found in the Great Commission. So that's, that's our statement. And I'm going to spend most of the time defending that first paragraph and showing through Scripture what some of these key things are. Then we're going to talk briefly about uh, baptism and communion and then the Great Commission. But so this first sentence says, the church consists of all the redeemed who are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ of which Jesus is the head. So when you think of this, um, there's two words in the New Testament with church. One is this capital C. So if, if you're reading in the New Testament and you see capital C for church, uh, that's the global thing, right? That's everybody. That's everyone in the entire world who has called on the name of Jesus, who has repented of their sin and chosen to make Jesus their Lord and their Savior. They are part of the global church. And this is kind of a really kind of a neat thing that we have, uh, and especially in Banff, and you know, COVID notwithstanding, but this last summer is a great example, is any given Sunday, there would be people come through our doors that were, we would normally never meet, never see, perhaps from a different place in this country, perhaps from a different place in the world. We would maybe not identify with their hobbies or their uh, activities or maybe their socioeconomic group. We would be very far apart. Simply put, our, our circles of influence probably would never touch. And yet what we find is that this love for Jesus, these people show up and they're on holidays and they go, I want to attend church with brothers and sisters who worship Jesus Christ. What an incredible, an incredible thing where we get to meet people of different languages and races and cultures that all together we worship the one true God. It's just an awesome, awesome thing. One really simple example that I kind of found in the last, uh, well, about seven weeks ago or so is Jim and I got an opportunity to go on this little bike for Bibles trip. And, uh, you know, in reality, I actually only spent four days with these people. And outside of Jim, I had never met any of them, had never spoken with any of them, didn't know anything about anybody. And yeah, the first day, I, I, was, I think I was kind of the, the only kind of new person, and I didn't kind of know all them, and they all had relationships. But again, most of those relationships are spent four or six days uh, of the year. And yet they're so close and they're so connected, uh, not because they just love biking. That's kind of a great kind of a side thing. But it's because what the reason is, we're gathered there together to exalt Christ so that his name would be made known. And it's so all of a sudden, by day two and day three and day four, you just felt like this is, this is a family. And, and it's so exciting to be part of it. And, and then a few days later, after we came home, we were, Shayla and I and Swanga were driving off to Canmore to get some groceries, and, and Shayla points and says, isn't that a Bikes for Bibles jersey? And there was some random person from the group that was just driving or riding their bike through Banff. And so I pulled a UE and I stopped, and of course, you know, I waved through the car and they didn't see me because, or they didn't recognize me because four days, right? But then you come out and you go, and they're like, oh, Greg, and we had this conversation, and it's just like, I only spent four days with that person. And yet there's something that connects you. And that is a, a wonderful thing about the church. 
However, what I also think is, is deeply troubling and, and quite sad is that for a lot of people, that's where it ends. They view it only from a global standpoint, and they miss the fact of the local standpoint. Is There's also plenty of times in the New Testament, and we're going to talk about this as we go, where the little c is used for church, a grouping of people that gather together consistently to worship God. And in these various ways that we've talked about, teaching, uh, communion, prayer, fellowship, all these things, but we gather together and we grow week after week after week and we become more united in purpose and in meeting and we hold each other uh, accountable and we encourage each other when we need and when someone is ill or not well as other people step into that place and help and equip and it's just, there's nothing, I'm convinced of this, there's nothing like the local church. There are many people, however, and I've had this conversation more times than I care to admit. Well, they'll have an argument of, you know, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I don't see the need to go to church. Or alternatively, somebody who will say, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm not real big on this organized religion aspect of it. And I want to be very careful here and very clear on this. I'm convinced through Scripture, and again, we're going to talk about this. I promise we'll get there. Those are very dangerous things to believe that are not rooted in what the Bible teaches us, but they're rooted in what culture has taught us, specifically our North American culture. The studies out there, and there's lots of really good books, and if, if you'd like to kind of read any of them, by all means, come and find me later, and I'll, I'll give you a little list of, of some of these things. But what it's shown is that our North American mindset is a very very different mindset than much of the rest of the world, and it's very tied to individualism. And unfortunately, that logic has crept its way into the church where it's about me, and never in Scripture is it about me. First and foremost, it's about him, Jesus. And then it's about a group, a community that come together in his name. Can you, so the question is, right, can you be a Christian and not attend church or say that you're not part of organized religion. Technically speaking, yes, right? Last week we looked at it. To come to faith in Jesus Christ simply means that you recognize your need of Jesus, that you repent of your sin and you turn towards him. But when we read through scripture, we never once see any aspect of I'm doing this on my own. It's always in community. It's always in growing communities who want to multiply and want to then serve and reach their community for him. And so it makes me very concerned when I hear people say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. When you read through the New Testament, Jesus calls his church what? bride. Gives his life for the church. He loves the church desperately. And we ought to, too. I want to read to you. Um, originally, I was going to close with this, but as I was kind of going through this this morning, I thought this was a good quote to have now. This is from Charles Spurgeon, and he was talking about kind of joining a church and how some people don't. And here's what he says. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. The moment that I did join it, if I in fact found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would no longer have been perfect after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to me. Yes, the church is messy, and people may want to say, I don't like the mess, I, 
But you know what? Life is messy, isn't it? For all of us. Our families, as much as we love them desperately, our families are sometimes messy. Yet we love them desperately. Is the church is not something that we should go, uh, it, it's optional or it's, it's a side, it's, it's essential to this. So let's open uh, to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, a little bit of this text, and then we're going to jump to another passage in just a few moments. So what you see in Acts chapter 2, we don't have time to read the whole passage, but Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit comes, right? The day of Pentecost, Peter preaches this sermon. People from all nations come and they hear this message of Jesus and, and they say, yes, I need that. And they start confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so you have the birth of the church as we see it in the New Testament. So starting in verse 42, it says this, and they, so that's the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you see, this group of people gathered together to hear the apostles' teaching. They gathered together for prayer. They gathered together for breaking of bread, which is kind of two parts, right? One is just simply coming together and eating and fellowshipping together because it, one of the difficulties that Shayla and I have been having with COVID is this lack of having people in your home to eat together and to, and to pray together and to just spend time together in fellowship. That's just a, a difficult thing. But, so that's part of it, but also communion where we remind ourselves of the death of Jesus. We're going to talk about that again in a minute, so I won't spend too much time there. But this is what you see. They cared for each other. They shared all things together. In fact, if someone had any need, other people in the church would sell a field or something that they own so that that need would be met. The care and concern for this group of people that up until then was, was largely kind of very individuals all over the place was now coming together and seeking to honor God, to glorify God, and to stand out differently in the world and to declare to the world, we stand for God. How can we do that alone nearly as effectively as we can in this? Now, I want to take a brief sidetrack here for a moment. Uh, a lot of people I've heard use this passage to talk about how the ideal church, what it was supposed to be in God's mind, was these little house churches. And I'm not talking anything negative about house churches. House churches are a great ex expression uh, of our love uh, to God and, and our care and our commitment for one another. But never does this passage talk about this is the ideal. This is the starting point of this movement. And all through the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, you see Paul writing letters to cities and to local churches in those cities, and sometimes specific local churches, so that they would grow and learn and understand and, and often to correct some bad doctrine. But it was sent to these groupings of people. 
If God intended it to just be little house churches, that's all you would then see in the New Testament. But you see it just growing and growing and growing and multiplying. And they were gathering together in these groups. They were becoming larger and larger, so they couldn't fit in homes. And so they had to meet in temples and other various uh, public gathering places. Let me just say it very simply this way. Is if your home church is three families and you're very content to stay those three families, you're not fulfilling the mission of the church. Alternatively, if you're in a traditional church that's 70 people and you're happy that it's 70 people and you don't serve and, and reach out to the community so that that faith group would grow, you're not serving the mandate of the church either. There are many expressions of church and, and house churches can be good and traditional churches can be good and all these things, but there's never this one perfect example of it found in the New Testament. It's just this growth and this explosion of people gathering together to proclaim Jesus, to make him known, to serve their community, to serve one another. As you continue through the book of Acts, you come across this very overzealous um, Pharisee named Saul, uh, who doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and, and sees him as a threat to their way of life. And through various means, Jesus has an encounter. The, resur or the crucified Jesus has an encounter with Paul, or with Saul, excuse me, and then his name changes to Paul. And then Paul becomes literally the most effective church planner that has ever walked the earth. And Paul plants many, many churches all throughout. And one example is the church in Ephesus. And so you can flip ahead to 1 Timothy in your Bible. And, and we studied through this a, a while ago, so this might be a little bit familiar to you. But Paul leaves Timothy in charge of this local congregation in Ephesus as the kind of the pastor shepherd there. And he equips him and kind of ministers with him. And then he leaves him and he says, Timothy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, and you are going to now lead and, and minister to this church. And so in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, starting in verse 11, Paul says these things to Timothy. Excuse me, he says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So when we say in our statement that we exist to worship God, uh, to glorify Him through the preaching and the teaching of His Word, through prayer and through fellowship and all these things, you see it right here as Paul's commanding Timothy, do these things. Do these things within the local church. Read Scripture together. Study Scripture together. Watch your life. Watch your teaching. Recognize that others are watching you, and so have a good grip of what you're doing so that others see it, so that they may be encouraged, so that they may grow in their faith. You don't ever see this being an individualized thing. You see it being community, together, encouraging, and working together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about the church in Corinth. And 
Paul's teaching about their, their spiritual gifts that they're given. So when you come to faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit is given to you, is you are given a supernatural gift with which to serve the local church. That's the mandate of it. And there were others kind of in that church that were arguing, saying they wanted this gift and this gift. And so Paul comes together and unites them and says, look, you have to understand is all of these gifts are intrinsically valuable to the church and you each are necessary to, to, to accomplish your mission together. So there's no better gifts or more important gifts. There's gifts that God's given that you would use for the local church to serve one another so that you can serve the community effectively. In fact, Paul goes as far as saying, do all have this gift and this gift and this gift? No. We don't get all of the gifts so that we can just become this, this island of, I will go and do all of these things. We're given one gift that relies on other gifts and other gifts so that we come together in unity so that we would help one another to accomplish the mission that we have. Again, you never find in Scripture that these groupings of these churches were to stop meeting, but they were to continue meeting. And in fact, in Hebrews uh, 10, 24, and 25, you read this exact problem is there were some in the Hebrew, uh, again, so this is a grouping of churches, right? A grouping of people. There were some who were not meeting together because, well, whatever the various reasons were, probably no different than many of the reasons that we face. We're busy. Uh, we don't have time. Um, Maybe I slept in or whatever. Who knows? All these various reasons. And the writer of Hebrews pleads with him and he says, let us not, or sorry, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Literally, he says, the closer we get to Jesus' second coming, the more we should be gathering together to encourage each other because frankly, it's going to get more and more difficult. As the church, life will get more and more difficult for us. And, and we started to see some of those things happen in many cultures. And perhaps we're starting to see some of those in our culture. Where, where we, as we gather together, there's maybe rules and regulations that change that we feel infringe upon our religious rights. But Scripture teaches that that's just a natural byproduct of what's going to happen because we are against the world. The world has a different standard than we do. And so he literally says, don't stop meeting together because you will need each other. And I don't, I don't know what it is. And I, I, Men specifically, I'm just going to, maybe we're speaking to everyone here, but men especially, is we desperately don't want help. We want to do everything on our own. A good example, yesterday, Shayla and I, she was helping me carry something. And I should have just asked for help from something, and I didn't, and I slipped, and I fell, and I may have broken her foot. Um, probably not, but may have. And all because I could have just asked for help, but I was like, no, I can do this, right? Like, I am man, uh, right? Like, this, 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 this. We don't want that. And yet we desperately, desperately need it. On our men's Bible study, just this last Thursday, we talked about the importance and the, and the necessity of brotherhood in our lives. People that we can cling to when life gets difficult. People that will have the courage and the relationship with us to come to us when we're not living the way that we're supposed to and they will call us on that. The more difficult life gets, the more, the closer we come to Jesus' second coming, the writer urges them, 
cling together, meet together, and spur one another on to love and good deeds. This is the mission of the church. Now, clarification, because this often gets brought up. Matthew 18, there's a passage where it says, where two or three or more are present, I am with you there also, right? God talking, saying, when you gather together, doesn't matter if there's just two or three or a hundred, right? Jesus is there with them in their midst. And so people will say, so, so that's an expression of local church. And, and I would say, yes, it is an expression of, but it's not meant to replace. It's not meant to be. In fact, in Matthew 18, Jesus is dealing with a discipline issue within the church. And Michael Jenkins writes it this way. Jesus is talking about being divinely present among his disciples as they seek unity in rendering decisions, not some context of this is now the church. This is an expression of. So uh, many of you got an email this last week about kind of asking about your discipleship journeys with various people. And so that is a huge part of church and something that we're committed to that you would meet with another person or with a couple or, or a small group of people that you gather together and you talk about Scripture and you pray for one and you, and you love each other, that is vitally important, but that is never meant to replace the church. That's meant to encourage, help us grow day to day to day. But when we gather together as saints, we are so much more effective than we are in one or two or three Now, alternatively, the bigger the group gets, sometimes the more complicated it gets and the more difficult it gets. The bigger the board is, the harder it is to make a decision on things. And so sometimes we like to keep things small. But I would argue that that's just so that we don't have to deal with the uncomfortable tension of learning how to communicate with other people and how to let maybe my way not be the important way and let someone else have the say and let other people... um, make decisions and for me to step back so that we can unite together in purpose and in meaning. And so again, my purpose is not to say that this church should be 3,000 people. That's not my point at all. My point should be is that we should desperately want to grow. We should desperately want to reach out. And we should desperately want to see the lost come in and find Jesus. And the best problem that we could have is if we had to start having multiple services because we don't have enough room for people to come. That's, that should always be the goal, whether you're in a house and you're going, okay, we're now, we're now at 15 people and we can't fit anymore in our house, so let's figure out how we can multiply to another house. And so there's multiple organisms together doing the same good work. That should always be our goal. All right, let's hit the last two sentences in our statement. The church has been mandated with two ordinances, baptism and communion. So let's deal uh, with baptism first. In in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, Paul writes this in verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Is baptism, as we we say in the statement, it's not, uh, it doesn't bring salvation to us but it's an expression of our salvation. When we come to faith, we recognize that we, are being, we have been made new, and baptism is simply this public demonstration of saying, I recognize that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I have declared that, and I want to join into a group of people, the local church, who will hold me accountable, who will pray for me, who will love me, and who will care for me. And what's interesting is, is it's not ever written as like some kind of a suggestion. It's written as, when you come to faith, this is what follows. 
that you would be united together through baptism into this family. And so I just really simply want to state it this way, is if you are a Christian, if you have made a profession of faith in Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, is I would urge you to go home and consider that. Consider what Scripture teaches. Consider the commands of Scripture and recognize that this is not about you going, I got my life all figured out. It's all good. Uh, I, I don't have any more issues. We'll never get there. We always have struggles. We always have problems. We always have issues. We always have temptations. It's not about being perfect. It's about coming before a community and saying, I want to follow Jesus. Will you help me as I do that? The second one that we read about is communion. And every first week of the month, so next week, we're going to celebrate communion together. It's about gathering together and remembering, going back to Scripture about Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. In Luke 22, we read about the Last Supper, where Jesus gathers together with his disciples, and they eat this bread and drink this cup. And, and typically, we use the 1 Corinthians 11 passage just because it's written after the fact, and so it's looking back to and so it's just worded in such a way that maybe it's a little bit easier for us to grasp. But when we do that, we gather together and we have this bread and this cup and they represent Jesus' death on the cross and that by his blood and his blood alone that we find the forgiveness of sins. And so we do that every month so that we do not forget the gospel is not about me, it's about Jesus. So that we do not grow arrogant and think we're worthy of salvation, we're worthy of we gather together over and over to remind ourselves it's only because of Jesus Christ. And we need that reminder. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it says that they did this every single day. We desperately need to be reminded of our need for God. And I would argue, based on my own life, is that the days that go by where I don't remind myself of that. I start to think that I'm, I, I am capable. I can do this. I can, this thing on, that's on my to-do list, this, this task that I've come to, I can do it. And when all those things start to then become this self-focused expression of I'm able to, that's when it all falls apart. And then I go, oh my goodness, I desperately need Jesus. On Thursday, a, a few of our AGC pastors in, gathered together in Calgary and, and we were discussing the life of David, and I'm going to talk about this with our board on Wednesday. But what you see is, is David's uh, killed Goliath, right? You remember the story there, and all of a sudden, everyone's just celebrating David and praising his name. And, and what you read in the middle of the next chapter, it's kind of bookend, or it's kind of sandwiched in the middle of this, is it says that David had success everywhere he did, kind of in everything he did, because the Lord was with him. For our church, this is what we pray every board meeting, is that we would not just seek to do things that we think are smart, things that we want to do, but we want to do what God has planned and prepared for this church. So we need wisdom, and that's why we ask you all the time, we need wisdom, because frankly speaking, is I think all my ideas are awesome, don't you? You don't have to laugh out loud. Is all of us think our own ideas are great. That's why we came up with them. And sure, it probably has merit, but Sometimes our ideas, as good as they might be, are not what God's ideas are. And so we need to listen to what he would have us do, not what we want to do. And we need the wisdom for that. And so when we constantly come back to the cross, come back to a reminder that this is about Jesus, 
we can see that. We can understand that more. We need to be reminded of that. So that's why we do that every single week. Last part of our statement is refer, it's referred to as the Great Commission. So in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it says this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This great commission was not given just to 12 individuals where Jesus said, okay, you guys go and change the world, though they did do that. This commission was given to all who are part of this faith community, is that if you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are to go into the world and to declare that. That doesn't mean that every single one of us is called to be a vocational missionary. That's not the point. The point is that where we are going, and if you look at the Greek in this, it's this, it's this sense of as you are going. So there's this assumption that as you are living your life, that you go and make disciples. So the people that you interact with, the friends and the family and the co-workers, the various people in your circle of influence, you are called so that to, to share the message of Jesus with them by how you act, by how you talk, by what you do. Is This is not something that was meant only for the 12 or only for pastors or only for missionaries. This is meant if you are a Christian, this is literally a vital, important part of your life. It is honor and glorify God by doing these things that we've talked about. No one's exempt from this. We're all to be in mission together and the mission of our church. And we have a nice little mission statement, and, and that's, it's a good statement, but just very, very simply is to love God and to love people. And we are way more effective when we do that together than when we do that isolated. Now, there are often going to be moments where you are by yourself and, and you have an opportunity to do something. And so, yes, we'd seize that opportunity. But when we come together, we have so much more potency in that. And, and what's really neat right now in our church here in Banff is that the town of Banff is actually looking to us because they want us to serve the community. And so with this lunch to go thing is when, when we had to stop chili night and when we with, with COVID and the restrictions and everything, it was actually the town that was kind of like, hey, you guys have the perfect building and you already have the relationships and you're already serving people. Is how, can, how can we help you? And so the town is actually giving us a grant to go out and to serve people in the name of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? What an opportunity for us. I, I've said this lots, but this is kind of the unique thing of Banff is we don't actually have to go anywhere to minister to anybody. They're all coming here anyways. So how can we be effective in this? Well, I think as we gather together as a group of saints, that might mean a group of four, that might mean a group of 20, that might mean the whole church sometimes. But this is what we are called for. This is what we're called to do is never in Scripture is this about isolation. Even in the Old Testament, in the sense as you read about Elijah and he thinks he's literally the only one left and he's like, he kind of throws himself a little pity party with God. And God says, no, 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 I've got thousands that have not bowed to Baal that, is, that are still serving God. Is even when we think that we can do something alone, is God saying, no, there's, there's more. Gather together. Declare the truth 
of the gospel. Declare that Jesus is coming again. These are all things that we're supposed to do. And so again, it goes back to if we haven't joined a church, if, and, and so if you're visiting here this morning, then that's not Banff. I'm not talking about Banff. I'm talking about where you live, where you interact, your life, where it is, is if you haven't joined and committed to a local church, I would urge you not to just do it because I'm saying to, but go to Scripture and read it and see if there's any defense for being an isolated Christian. And I would say that you're, you're not going to find one because Scripture is very clear on this. Do not stop meeting together. Gather together. Care for one another. Love each other. Serve one another. Glorify God together. And as we gather together as the church to do this, we'll be so effective. And one last reminder. I know that the church is a very imperfect place. Believe me. I get that. But that's never an excuse to stop meeting together. Life is messy. I said it already. Life is messy for all of us. Our families are messy. Our church is messy. It shouldn't surprise us that church is messy because every part of life is messy. But may we commit to even when life is hard, even when we're upset, even when we disagree with people, that we can still gather together united and serve one another and the community so that God would receive glory and honor. In fact, I would think of it this way, is if we just all got along easily and there were never any fights, I don't think that would speak as loudly to the community as it does when we gather together with differences of opinions and yet submit to one another and serve one another even though we differ. I think that speaks even more loudly to the community. I'm going to end again with what Spurgeon said, just because I just think this is such a beautiful quote. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. The moment I did join in it, if I, if I indeed found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been perfect after I had joined it. Still, imperfect as it is, the dearest place on earth to us, the church. I am committed 100% to the local church, and I'll do any and everything I can. And I hope that's true every day for the rest of my life. I'm committed to it, but just like you can probably say in your own life, sometimes the things you're most committed to make you just the craziest too. It's hard, it's painful, it's messy. We disagree, and yet there's nothing like it when it's functioning the way that God has intended it to. Let's pray. God, thank you for the church. Thank you for this group of people that gather together that want to hear your word, that want to study it and see what it says, that want to pray together, that want to serve one another and fellowship together. God, you are amazing, and you can work in and through us despite our differences so that the world can see, so that our community can be challenged to know that despite our differences, we gather together to proclaim what is most important. So God, as we consider in these coming weeks what the church is to us, perhaps as some consider their own involvement in church and whether they have not been connected. God, I pray that each one of us would realize the blessing that church can be to us and how we can bless it. 
God, would you be at work in our hearts? God, as we look forward in this coming week to meet together as a leadership, would you give us wisdom to do what you have called us to do for this church, not what we want to? God, we want you to be glorified and honored. We want to serve one another, and we want the community to see and to know that we love them desperately because you love them first. God, go with us today. We're so grateful for this body, this unique thing called the church. Amen.